Welcome back to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicles political podcast. This is Joe Garofoli. I'm the San Francisco Chronicles senior political writer. And today on the pod, we have Congressman Ro Khanna. He's the first term congressman from Silicon Valley. He's, he's the Valley's congressman. And today we're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff. We're all over the map with, with Ro. We're going to talk about weed. He wants to legalize marijuana. We're talking about how the tax cuts are playing in Silicon Valley. We're talking about whether the, the tech companies are doing enough to help their own communities. We're talking about immigration. He's the son of immigrants and what the Democrats should give up. And perhaps most telling, we talk about how some congressmen shamelessly try to scam seats during the State of the Union so they can get in the TV picture when the president you know, walks down the aisle and shakes everybody's hand. Very funny stuff. And there's, it's all here on It's All Political. Connor, you are Silicon Valley's congressman. Welcome back to It's All Political. It's great to be back. And uh, you are already, you've been, this is your first term, you're already a vice chair of the Congressional uh, Progressive Caucus, a member of the Armed Services Committee and the, and the Budget Committee, correct? Yeah. Um, so and you're in a leading, a lot of, uh, leading edge of a lot of different stuff in Congress, uh, stuff that other people wouldn't touch, like marijuana, right. uh, marijuana legalization. You're, you're talking about something called democracy dollars. You're out there on Yemen. Yeah. We're going to get to all that stuff. But first of all, yeah. a more lighthearted thing. Let's yeah. start a little lighthearted. You wrote your first State of the Union, yeah. official State of the Union. First one, right. Uh, the other day. And give us a little inside baseball here. Sure. Like After years of watching this on TV. Yeah. What is it like to be inside the room with the State of the Union? We, my impression is people are just on their phones yeah. playing, well, playing Candy Crush. Well, some of the more veterans towards the end of the speech, because Trump went on a long time, yeah. uh, were on their phones. But let me tell you this. I, there are those of us, and I'm one of the people who uh, strongly opposes Trump, but there's not a member of Congress, if they were being honest, who uh, isn't still uh, overwhelmed by the uh, experience of actually being in the chamber yeah. uh, when uh, the entire country is is watching. And you get some of these members of Congress who it's like camping out uh, before <laughs> a uh, football game or concert. I mean, they're there to get four to hours because they want to be in the shot uh, with the, when the president <laughs> walks down the aisle. And one of the people who was the most famous for that actually uh, was Dennis Kucinich, apparently. And it didn't matter if it was a Republican or Democratic president. He used to go there five hours before and they would you would squat for these seats. So I didn't even realize this. I got in like at 830 and I was looking for a, a seat and I was like, what is it with this? Because Congress people are never on time. And here everyone's like four hours early for oh their seats. Oh my God. So, some so, of this. Some, so they get there early just so they can get on the TV shot. Just so they can get on the TV shot. And, that, and this time you had some Democratic members of Congress who they kind of wanted to be there because they wanted to be in the TV shot, but they knew they couldn't. It would be the kiss of death to actually shake hands with the president. So you saw a couple of these Democratic members that were there they shook hands with the vice president they shook hands with the cabinet and then they kind of quietly moved away and let a republican take their seat when trump walked in and then they got back or something so, so, how, so who did you wind up sitting next to when you get there you so got there late i got there late i got there late early, early, early late you know i got there at 8 30 
And I ended up sitting next to Tim Ryan, uh, who's oh, a great guy, congressman yeah. from Youngstown. Yes. And uh, tried to overthrow Pelosi. Tried to overthrow Pelosi. Yeah, you know, I supported Pelosi, but I. But Tim's a great. You know, my wife's from uh, Cleveland, and so uh, we we had like the Cleveland corner there because my wife was from there. David Joyce was there, uh, who represents the, near that area. Tim Ryan and. We were talking about the 0 and 16 Browns, and you know, oh, and, yeah, you know was, uh, yeah. well, we, we won't get into that. I'm a yeah. Steeler fan, so. Uh, what, and the other thing is, uh, were you given any? Uh, we're given instructions by Pelosi: don't react. And and if she said, if if you're going to walk out, just don't come. Were you given any um, instructions by the leader to you know how to react to this stuff? Well, Nancy's, you know, she's always been uh, gracious in her her style, and she did talk to the caucus and saying, look, be. Uh, be respectful of the office, if not the president. Don't uh, uh, don't uh, d- do some kind of walkout. And by the way, uh, you know Joe Wilson when he yelled "You lie," you know that didn't turn out that well for him. So no. uh, I think people expect a decorum because of the office of the presidency. Yeah. Uh, there are many ways to protest Trump, uh, but that forum is about the the office. Okay. All right, let's let's get uh, to some to some heavier stuff. You, you're sitting on the Armed Services Committee. You're seeing intel that that we aren't. Um, how likely is it that the Russians are going to hack our midterm elections? And how prepared are we for this? Well, I haven't seen uh, that intelligence because that would be uh, on the Intelligence Committee. But I do know this from talking to colleagues and talking to experts uh, that it's a very very serious concern uh, that Russia continues to meddle in elections, uh, not just in our elections, in Mexico and other elections around the world, and on a bipartisan basis, forget what happened in 16, we ought to be concerned about them ramping this up and actually trying to get to hacking state election systems and vote systems and uh, hacking social media. Uh, And my hope is that how do we take, put aside the investigation about whether Donald Trump colluded with the Russians, bracket that, and say, uh, what can Congress do to make sure that whether it's Russia, whether it's Iran, whether it's North Korea, that no country can meddle in our elections? That in some ways is the great equalizer, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we've got uh, a, a much more powerful military than all of them. We've got far more nuclear weapons. Uh, but if they could actually uh, threaten our democratic system, it doesn't take a lot of money or, or a lot of effort. And, and so uh, that really ought to be a bipartisan concern. Unfortunately, it hasn't been. Because if you utter the word Russia, every Republican thinks you're uh, going after Trump. So, so are we prepared? Do we're not. We're not. I mean, at the very. I mean, there's been no. There's no plan. There's no. There's no effort. There's no. Uh, uh, and certainly, you know, I don't know if there's something that the uh, Homeland Security or De- Department of Defense is doing that I'm not aware of. The other members are not aware of. But there's been no briefing to members of Congress to uh, satisfy us or the American public that we're secure. I mean, at the very least, I think we should have the Secretary of Homeland Security, the Secretary of Defense, go before Congress and uh, say, assure the American people that these elections are going to be fair. But we're, but we're paralyzed because, of, because, as you say, once you say Russia, then it's like it becomes a politicized thing as opposed to a national security issue. Exactly. And here's what I don't understand. I, mean, I don't understand why this is a partisan issue. I mean, if Trump puts uh, tariffs against China and upsets China and the Chinese are figuring out how to hack uh, elections to favor Democrats opposing Trump, uh, wouldn't that be a problem? So, OK, even if you say that this time the Russians came out on the on the side of uh, uh, Republicans, it's very possible to see how uh, a foreign country could come out on the side of Democrats in the future. And I think we've got to take this away from Trump and make this about protecting our future elections 
and depoliticize it. The uh, new job numbers are out though, yeah. as we're recording this today. Uh, solid again, and but more important, wages have increased the most since 2009. How are the tax cuts playing in your district? Yeah. Well, I want to make this point about the wages. The, the, the wages, the, the rate of wage growth is actually less than the wage growth was in the last uh, a few years. So, yes, the wages are going up, but they're still not going up nearly at the rate that they should be going up. And they're not going up at the rate that they went up in the Obama administration. I think the tax uh, plan in, in my district, it, it benefits the, uh, the, the entrepreneurs and the tech executives and the people who are already doing well. But the uh, folks who can't afford a apartment uh, in Sunnyville, the folks, the nurses, the teachers, the firefighters, the people who can't afford the cost of living, uh, it leaves them behind. And this is the challenge. I mean, their view was, okay, the rich should get richer uh, and they drive America's uh, success. Uh, but all of the middle class and the working class, there's not much uh, for them. And then the, the tech firms are making out huge in this. Uh, they get, they're getting a huge corporate tax yeah. break on this. We have a story out uh, pointing out uh, here in the Chronicle that uh, Apple reported $88 billion in quarterly revenue this past quarter. But they've only put $6 million towards Cupertino's affordable housing fund. Yeah. That's your district, yeah. Cupertino. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Well, look, Apple, uh, I, I just uh, went to their uh, Apple Park, that new campus. Yes. And it's a... You know, I'm a little jaded on doing these tours because you do a lot of them. But you go there and it's a testament sort of to human ingenuity and you kind of marvel at that site. And then you say, okay, uh, what can you do, Apple, not just around the nation and around the world, but for the local community, uh, not just for Cupertino, for more affordable housing, I think they should, but in East San Jose, in East Palo Alto, in Oakland. Uh, and I look, I, I think Tim Cook, uh, I was encouraged that uh, a couple months ago, he said business leaders now have a moral obligation to consider education and job creation. Uh, they need to uh, really think about their responsibility to the community. And I, I and I hope they will. I think the problem with the repatriation was they got to bring all this money back and there were no strings attached. Nothing saying, OK, invest some of this in manufacturing, invested in uh, creating jobs. Here's the irony. You know all the jobs that Trump says he created 2.4 million jobs? Consider this, and I didn't know this till, till someone pointed this out. Of the 51 highest unemployment counties, guess how many of those are in red states? 49. 49. Wow. My question is, what is he doing from them? Fine, Apple will create more jobs in my district. Yeah. Uh, who's creating the jobs in uh, the places that voted for Trump? And uh, this is a huge dilemma for which he has not addressed. What can you and, and go back to, to Apple and what they've uh, what the responsibility is? What can you do from Congress there? Does this require some kind of federal intervention? Um, and uh, in terms of you know the the uh, you know, the repatriation. Um, you know, it's, it's too late to do it now, obviously. Right. Uh, but w what can you do? Can you say tie it to infrastructure somehow? Like, is, is there any way to get that money and direct it towards uh, some sort of infrastructure package? But what can you do from Congress to, to force Apple to, to, to be a better corporate citizen? Now, well, you can change the tax law when, when we have a Democratic Congress and say that the money overseas should be taxed at, at the U.S. rate. And uh, you can say that uh, and use that money, that tax, uh, to fund public colleges, expansion of public colleges, to fund high-speed internet, to fund 
infrastructure to fund uh, to making college more affordable and debt free. Uh, here's my view, and I've shared this openly with tech leaders. I said, I'm not concerned that you're going to go make a tremendous amount of money, and I don't begrudge you that. Some of you have extraordinary technology uh, expertise. You're creative. You've taken risk. No one begrudges you your wealth. What we are concerned about is, is this going to help make sure that people, everyone gets to participate and has an opportunity? And if you just stepped up and made those kind of investments so that the prosperity uh, people didn't feel left out, that's going to be good not just for uh, those folks, it's going to be good for the country. And I think the more enlightened tech leaders need to see that it's in their self-interest to do something about uh, the drastic income inequality, or you're going to see a backlash to Silicon Valley, which is already brewing on the far right and the and the left. And yeah, we've talked about that for, for a story we did a while back. What, what's the reaction you get when you say that to the, to the tech leaders? Well, some of it is, uh, some of it is, you know, they're polite. Uh, you know, then you get get to your talk to my government affairs person. You know, that's like the end of uh, the. the is that so like that's the how you kill things? You know, go. <laughs> you know, no one ever says no to you because you know they. Now that you're in Congress, they'll be polite. But I think that the, uh, but the, uh, the 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 challenge is that it's got to become a priority for them. They've got to internalize it, and they've got to see this as uh, as as something that really could hurt the brand, which would be so unfortunate, not just because I represent Silicon Valley, but think about it. There are very few things in this country that people are still proud of. I mean, people are proud of our military that has huge approval. But other than that, most institutions, I mean, no one likes Congress. Few people like the media. Uh, Tech actually is one place where people still have a lot of trust. And I would think if I were uh, the head of Apple or Google, I would say that's our biggest asset. I would do, I would guard that so zealously, and I would say, look how other institutions have failed, and we don't want to be uh, like them. And I hope that some folks will uh, start to do that. I, you've seen some initiatives to do that. Um, let's talk immigration. You are the son of immigrants. Uh, the president is proposing his four-point plan which would be $25 billion in the trust for the wall. Right. An end to family migration or chain migration, whichever uh, term you choose. Yeah. Uh, an end to the visa lottery program. So where do the Democrats deal on this? It, it sounds like they're okay with the wall or the $25 billion for whatever it's going to be, border security. Um, and obviously the dreamers are, are brought into this country. Right. Um, what... Where where are the Democrats? Where's where's the where's well, the kind of deal? I don't think that there's any room for a wall because it's it's uh, ridiculous given that more people are leaving the United States to go to Mexico than are coming here. So I mean it's just a, a, a total waste and it's it sends a symbol uh, that America is closed. I you know I actually think the best line on this and uh, I'll quote him because I don't want to to plagiarize it was Bernie Sanders saying that. Yeah, a wall was a great idea in the 15th century for China, but, you know, uh, I, I, I don't see the, the value now. The family reunification, it's not just a technical distinction on chain migration, but it, it's important that people know the facts. And I know the facts because my district is so diverse. It takes at least 10 years before someone can get their brother or sister to come to the United States. So this picture that someone is coming here and then they're bringing their brothers and their cousins and their uncles and their aunts, is just ridiculous. In fact, Zoe Lofgren had this great idea. She said, I'm going to go to Congress and I'm going to propose a bill which is going to outlaw cousins and aunts from people from being able to bring their cousins and aunts to the United States. 
And of course, everyone started laughing because she said, I'm going to get a lot of Republican support. And then I'm going to tell them that's already illegal. You can't do that. And so, you know, there's this myth that uh, that the, the president has created. One other quick point on this. Do You know who supported family reunification in 1965? The people who wanted America to be more European. The argument was, OK, we're going to now in 65, the Immigration Act, allow people from right. Asia and Africa. But we need the European Americans to bring their families so we don't right. dilute it's this to be for country. the Irish and the Italians. Yeah. Right, right. So now now we don't want families at reunification. It's crazy. The people who have families here are the ones who actually are going to do well. But should there be any reforms to that? Should be there any? What should the limitations and reforms? Well, be I, I'll tell you what the limit, limitations uh, uh, should be. Obviously, we want to make sure that after we have the dreamers here and, and a path to citizenship, uh, that uh, uh, there are there is uh, border security. No one is opposed to uh, to, to making sure that uh, people are coming here uh, legally. And if there are places there that uh, uh, we can uh, strengthen without erect, erecting a wall, uh, fine. And we should make sure that if people have committed. Uh, crimes in this country right. uh, that they shouldn't be in this country. I mean, no one is for someone who's committed a crime uh, to 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 stay in in the United States. But uh, those are conversations uh, uh, worth having. But this president has just made it uh, so toxic that uh, uh, he's uh, appealing to his base. Now, this and, and immigration is a very complicated issue yeah. in your district, in particular, because you have the family uh, unification issue, right. but you also have the H one B issue. So you have when the president talks about, well, we only want you know people with merit here, and not defining what merit is, uh, and then, but he doesn't want the, the 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 quote unquote chain migration. How do you how is this playing in your district? Well, I think again, it's so important to push back against the chain migration term and yeah, all okay. Democrats, yeah, yeah. but. And call it family reunification. In my district, it's it's both, right? I mean, I've got H-1B visa holders who are saying, look, uh, we've been here 10 years, 15 years. We've got kids. And now the president wants to send us uh, back uh, to a country where our kids don't even recognize. Yep. Is there a need for reform on H-1Bs? Absolutely. There has been an abuse of that. People yes. have come in on H-1B visas uh, being underpaid. Uh, and that I do think has taken, in some cases, American jobs. Some H-1B visa holders have been asked to train, uh, you know, or American workers have been asked to train people to take their jobs. So my view, and I'm on a bill with Durbin and Grassley saying, look, everyone coming on an H-1B visa, they need to be paid the market wage, 120000 or around that, uh, and you need to really have, have skills. And if the president, to your point, if the president put forward a reasonable reform proposal, people will say, yeah, there has been abuse. Let's fix it. But for him to come out and say, well, uh, pe people who have H-1B visas, their wives shouldn't be working, is just cruel. I mean, it's not doing anything to, to fix the problem. And I think that the, the challenge with the president is people really question where he's coming from, a place of really uh, making America less welcoming to people from outside uh, Europe. And that's uh, deeply problematic. We had that debate before 1965. And uh, his side lost. He wants to go back and relitigate it. Mm -hmm. Let's talk politics. Uh, you travel the country a lot. You you do. You're still making your trips to Appalachia and Kentucky. I, I went and to Appalachia, and I'm I, I'm uh, going to go to Youngstown with Tim Ryan in uh, February, and then I'm headed to to Beckley, West Virginia. Most of my trips are still back to the district, but I get. Uh, I get to go probably once every few months. That's good. It's good. Getting outside the, the, the yeah. valley bubble there. 
Now, and you're also the vice chair, as we said earlier, of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. That's the biggest bunch of lefties out there. It's, a big, it's a borderline socialist. <laughs> oh, well, it's, uh, okay. I wouldn't go that far, but it, but it is the most progressive caucus in it Congress. Is. It is. And so now the Democratic Party is always calling for new voices. Yeah. We've heard a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's so, the key to running. It know? is the key to yes. <laughs> so why, for the love of God, did they trot out Joe Kennedy the other night to give Joe Kennedy the third? The other night to you give the rebuttal to the State of the Union. Hold on, this is new, like nothing. Nothing says new voices like a third-generation wealthy politician from a patrician New England family with a third at the end of his name. Now I know he's your buddy. Yeah, I know. He's I your, like your, Joe. But why? <laughs> but come on, why? Why? Why are they doing? What's What's with the Joe Kennedy thing? Well, I think Joe um, was there because he speaks to the civil rights ideals of our country. He. Uh, was out there and standing up for transgender rights. He's been out there and standing up for immigrants. He's been out there uh, on standing up for the Affordable Care Act. He gave some speeches that went went viral. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think, uh, but there were others who gave responses too. And he was uh, selected because he was, you know, he had speeches that made were viral and he spoke to, to some of those issues. But I, I don't think that just because he's of his last name or just because he's, got wealth that that means he can't uh, uh, be, uh, be be participating in politics i know but he's yeah. but there's surely there's other people out there give me some folks who should give me if you had to who would who else would be a good candidate what did you think of his speech it was fine it was fine <laughs> it was the speech was fine yeah but it's just the the image yeah that it well is. I, look I, I i mean i think that there are other uh, young talented politicians yeah. give us a few know, names that we, Tim, that we should. i i I didn't support Tim, but I think Tim Ryan from Youngstown talking yep. about people left out. I think Seth Moulton is a Marine, uh, incredible service to the country from Massachusetts. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, I yes. didn't agree with all her policy or her, uh, you know, going to meeting Assad, but she's shaking things up and trying to not have us uh, be intervening uh, abroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are uh, uh, Mark Pocan, who's uh, the chair of the Progressive Caucus, talking mm-hmm. about wages and uh, uh, how we're going to bring jobs to to uh, Wisconsin? I mean, there are a, a lot of good uh, young uh, voices, and uh, you know, there are a lot going to be at least uh, three more, I think, of these State of the Union. So they'll they'll pick <laughs> someone else. I I've said to someone, uh, not that anyone is asking me, but it, it's probably one of the worst things to ever do. It's uh, I, oh I'm not God. seeing anyone do it uh, do it no. well. No, it's so, a, it's a, it's your built to fail. I yeah. thought that the trappings of it were. We're good to do yeah. it before live audience. Exactly. To do it, I think everything was there, you know, except for the, you know, the the, the person himself. The pedigree was it seemed a little tone deaf. As a first term congressman, right. do you feel like the the leadership is the people we see on the Sunday shows, the people we see in, at the microphones all the time? Are they are they representative of the caucus in general? Are they are they? Do do you feel that like they're speaking for everybody, or is there, you know, it's sort of a disconnect sometimes? You know, representing. The Democratic caucus is one of the hardest things to do because you've got so many different voices. You got people like me pushing, saying you got to be bolder, you got to do more. Right. And then you got people in uh, red states that have very different constituencies. So I think that they uh, they try to do their best to to take all of the uh, energy and all of the ideas and try to find some consensus. Do I think that uh, the the energy is probably more the bolder, newer voices have a little more energy, <laughs> want us to... Uh, be uh, more concrete in our proposals, yes. But I, uh, I'm also not in their seat. I mean, I, I get to speak my mind, and I have a district that lets me do that. I'm not yeah. thinking, how does this play in 
Indiana and how, how right. does it play across America? Speaking of uh, being out there, let's talk weed. Yeah. Uh, you have introduced the Marijuana Justice Act yes. in, in Congress. You and, uh, and Barbara, Barbara Lee, Lee and, and Cory Booker. And Cory Booker. Uh, that would legalize cannabis at the federal level. Right. And uh, right now you have about 12 sponsors still. Are we only up to 12 still? <laughs> <laughs> Has the needle not moved? I thought we, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you're up to 14. I'm about to double check that this is an airtime. What's what's the point of this? Is this yeah. I mean, um, is this a stake in the ground? Or what what's, yeah, what's no, the point no, of doing this now? Well, look, obviously California has already legalized it. Yep. Uh, I don't know. Do you know more people are addicted to weed or something? I haven't seen that no, happen. I, have I not mean, seen it, that, it's, no. so uh, what no, I, I hope not. And what what this has done is it makes it uh, gives uh, revenue to the state. Uh, it actually gives people a shot at employment. The biggest thing I I read Chris Hayes was on MSNBC's book. He talks about how he took weed to the Republican convention in 2000 because he just forgot that it was in his bag. And the security guards kind of said, ah, that's really stupid, but let him go. But, you know, if you're a black kid and you do that and you're in Oakland, uh, you get a conviction on mm -hmm. your record. Mm -hmm. And then it's very, very hard. I mean, to get a job, it's hard to get a job anywhere. Right. So we're destroying these kids' lives before they even begin. And what I'm really proud of of uh, Cory Booker's bill and is that it not just legalizes it, it says to expunge the arrest records of people who just were convicted on possession right. or, or uh, use. Uh, so I, I think this is uh, inevitably going to be the policy of the country. And what I've said is I don't know if it's two years, four years, eight years, ten years, uh, but there is definitely momentum. And there's some libertarian Republicans who also think this war on drugs is a uh, futile i was going to say how what what are republicans telling you off mic should we say yeah are they are they saying i'm with you at this but uh there's no way i could ever vote for this or what, what do you hear are you hearing anything or are they just like avoid you avoid you in the hallways when you're talking about this well no there are i mean i don't want to speak for them because i don't know exactly where they stand on this issue but Rand paul and justin amash and yeah. even some of the people in the freedom caucus they have tended to really? to, to, to be opposed to the state uh, having too much power. You know, they were opposed to FISA's reauthorization. They've been opposed to our foreign interventions. And I think they understand that the drug war has failed. And if anything, what we need to be doing is doubling down on the opioid crisis about the prescriptions that are being written uh, for uh, opioids, uh, for, for pain in, in excess uh, and on heroin and not chasing something that isn't causing the damage that uh, uh, heroin and more serious drugs are. Um Let's talk about net neutrality for a second. Um, are there the votes in Congress to undo what the FCC has rolled back? And um, California's, uh, you know, considering a state law that would uh, that would try to undo that. Is that going to have any effect? The state law. Well, the state law can make some impact, but ultimately, you know, you need a federal law. I mean, here's what why this matters. It's basically saying that you can go. Uh, as Verizon or AT&T or Comcast and charge people a different amount based on the service they use. So you get charged five bucks for using Facebook, three bucks for using email, 10 bucks for down, down uh, for uh, live streaming uh, a show or downloading a show. And it's, it would turn the internet into cable. Uh, and that should scare uh, everyone. And uh, what we have said is no, you shouldn't be allowed to charge a different amount for different applications. And the federal law uh, should be one where you can't uh, price discriminate. Now, I think a state law, I'd have to look at the details of it, but my guess is it would be uh, hard to enforce given that the internet doesn't have a particular geography. I mean, would it be for uh, consumers in California that would have a different uh, sense? But then what if you 
uh, ended up subscribing from somewhere else. I mean, I, I just think it's hard on a state level to be able to do something. Why, why is Congress not pushing back on this? Is this because the, the major internet service providers are just loading their pockets with cash, or, or why is this? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is their uh, influence in the lobbyists. Part of it is their, their philosophical belief that you just let the private sector do things, and the private sector will figure it out. But the challenge with that is they say, well, let AT&T and Verizon and all make more money, and they'll put that into higher-speed internet uh, across America. Now, if you really believe that Comcast is going to take your extra profits and give you faster internet service or give faster internet service to rural America, uh, then you would buy the argument. But my mm. view is that's not going to happen. What we actually need is federal investment to have high-speed internet, 5G internet everywhere. By the way, Trump's administration actually was going to propose that. It would have been something I would have supported if Trump had come in and said, we're going to have a national plan to have 5G internet everywhere. It didn't make it into the uh, speech because they... Uh, the free market uh, doctrinaire folks killed it. But uh, what I don't understand is it also would kill, uh, well, certainly would kill entrepreneurship. But it would it would make it very it would make it harder for a new company to get started. It if you if you're exactly. But th that how, what's the dis disconnect? How come the the, the free market folks don't? Uh, go with that argument. It's a great point because the free market folks don't believe in any regulation of the market. It's just kind of a free-for-all. What they don't realize is that the American free market system has worked because we've had strong antitrust laws saying we need multiple competitors. We've had uh, a market that allows for new entrepreneurship. We've had public goods like highways and access to schools and access to public colleges that give everyone a fair shot. Right. So. Yes, I'm for a free market, but it's got to be a market that works for multiple entrants, not one that just works for big corporations. And uh, who, who isn't standing up for net neutrality in the tech community? Who needs to step up bigger? You know, actually, the tech community, I think, has been pretty, pretty strong on this. It's uh, the telecom companies that have uh, AT&T, Verizon, Comcast that have been uh, pushing in charter, that have been pushing against <coughs> net neutrality. Uh, what I'd like to see is the reasonable Republicans push back against uh, Ajit Pai's plan and say, uh, this should not be partisan. Let's protect the Internet to keep it the open place uh, that it is. And by the way, the open Internet is partly what gave rise to Donald Trump. I mean, he should be the one who says, <laughs> uh, let my people follow me on Twitter. I mean, it, you know, does he want does he really want ultimately like uh, big companies uh, to be uh, determining uh, whether uh, his Twitter followers should be charged a fee. I mean, I, I don't think they're thinking it through because the uh, activism is actually on the right and the left. All right, let's uh, go to another one of your uh, uh, new ideas called democracy dollars. Uh, explain what this is. This is, you would give everybody in the United States 50 bucks. 50 bucks. And uh, who, first of all, where did that money come from? From the federal government. It would okay. cost the federal government about $7 billion dollars. Uh, just to put it in context, the yeah. tax so, cut so, was oh, okay. tax were... cut was 1.5 trillion. So seven billion is a is a drop in the bucket compared yeah. to compared to that. Uh, everyone would have 50 bucks. You could spend it on uh, the president, a congressman, or a senator, uh, and uh, you would be able to then have more money from the grassroots of citizens than what was spent in the 2016 election by private money. So what about so would that what would the point of that be where uh, you would still have campaign finance laws would allow massive contributions yeah. from other people? So yeah, what's the because point? So what we wanted to do is do something that the Supreme Court could 
uh, hold is uh, constitutional because I'm for overturning Citizens United. Yes. But that's, you know, every politician says that and then that's like 10 years away. What can we do in the meantime? Well, let's consider my congressional race. Let's say I'm saying, okay, I'm going to go raise money from individuals at 2700 bucks, 5400 bucks. I go raise $3 million. And someone says, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do democracy dollars. 200,000 people in my community vote in my district. Uh, let's say they all give uh, 15 bucks. Yeah. That person would raise uh, $3 million from the district. Uh, I'm raising $3 million from private money, not from the district, because you have to choose whether you're in democracy dollars or not. I mean, who are people who's going to win that election? Me doing three million dollars of TV ads with not a single person in my district contributing or the guy or woman who's raised the money from the district. Hmm. So the gist of it is very simple. If you can't overturn Citizens United, the best way to do to to overcome private money is to swamp it with Hmm. uh, grassroots money. And this was basically saying uh, every campaign can be like uh, the Sanders model or the Howard Dean model. Every citizen participates. If you vote, you can contribute. And uh, it's going to totally diminish the value of the, the uh, going uh, to the Koch brothers or going for uh, $2,750, $400 checks. On your democracy dollars, would it have a little uh, picture of Ro Khanna on the, instead of like George Washington? <laughs> no, like a ro- well, well, ro- that, Robux, maybe. Yeah, you know, that, uh, that's like the Trump way. I'm not, uh, I'm not that <laughs> I'm not going to brand it like that. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a, <laughs> the, uh, you know, we could even put Trump's face on oh, no. the democracy oh, oh, dollars oh, if, oh, if, oh, if, oh, if yeah. that's what it's going to take yeah, to reform yeah. oh, this government. Rokana, right. <laughs> thank you so much for being here. It's and, always and, fun. And even in your first term, in Congress, you realize that it's all political, correct? I, well, it's a, a lot more political than I even thought. <laughs> it's, uh, that's the one thing that has surprised me uh, about Congress. I guess I was a little naive. Is uh, It's become too political. You know, yeah. people like Leon Panetta or others talk about a time where, uh, yeah, it was political, but there was still a sense of camaraderie and getting things done in the country. And, you know, one of the things that maybe I'd end with this is that if there was a company that was going bankrupt, you wouldn't have people fighting saying, can I become vice president or senior vice president or be in control? You'd be like, how do we save the company? Well, Congress is going bankrupt and all of us are fighting on who has control. At some point, we got to just say, you know, we don't want our kids to think we were a failed governing class. We would need to find some sense of restoring decency in this place. And what is exciting is I actually think the new members of Congress, even some of the Republicans, feel that. And uh, <coughs> there's, there's got to be change. All right. Thank, Thank you so you. much for being here. Thanks for having right, me. Good to Joe. see you. All right. This was great. Wow, we covered a lot of ground there with Rokana. I'd like to thank uh, Ro for being our guest today. And uh, I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And remember, whether you're a first-time congressman or someone who never votes, everything, everything, it's all political.